In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. Oh man, Amy, you would laugh at the size of my coffee cup right now. It is the oh, no. largest. Does it look like one from Central Perk? Um, I mean, not quite that comedic because it's not like those round <laughs> bowl ones, but it probably <laughs> holds as much coffee as those ones did back in the 90s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and how many other, and be, let's be, let's, just be real upfront. How many other drinks do you have? Uh, just coffee and water. I don't have multiple other drinks okay. today. And I only have one okay. glass of water. Um, sometimes I have two glasses of water, like when we're talking about a movie and I know my throat's going to get a little like parched <laughs> out talking about things. Um, so you really like a lubricated throat is what you're telling us. Uh, that is disgusting. Never say <laughs> that again. That is science. Get it together. Um, I don't need alien wet mouth for myself, but I will say that particularly on Saturday and Sunday mornings, this goes for also when I go to brunch, I'm a very, like, (laughs) beverage-heavy person who needs, like, a lot. Yeah. Uh, Like, it's... Because I'm, like, that's the fun of having a leisurely breakfast. It's, like, you have water and you have orange juice and you have tea and you have coffee. And if you're at a brunch, then you maybe also need... tea and coffee? Maybe you need a booze thing. Whoa. Okay. I totally agree, except for the tea and coffee part. That's a lot. Well, um, that's less when I'm at brunch and more like when I'm at my house. Then, like, so this morning yeah, yeah. I had my breakfast sandwich, um, and <laughs> and I've also, if you want to hear about how to make bacon real good, I made a discovery in that realm last week. Um, okay. We'll save that for our cooking show. <laughs> but so that so I had. Uh, I happened to have, um, or, or I semi-purposely had the ingredients for mimosa this morning. So I had my breakfast sandwich and a mimosa and a water. And then once I finished that, then I had a cup of tea. And now I'm having this l- truly comically sized large thing of coffee. And listen, I'm absolutely not hating on that because I feel like I uh, I need some type of beverage. I generally like to have a beverage at all times. Not that I'm drinking it all at all the time. Yeah, but it's just like, like within arm's on. reach. Yeah. I'm not really, those aren't really my drinks of choice. I am a bad diet soda drinker. Um, but I also like to have 
right now, for example, I do. I have two drinks as well, and so I'm definitely not um, hating. I have a chai latte and a diet soda. So both of which have caffeine. So it's not the caffeine that I even question. I like to have a cold and a hot. I enjoy that. Mm. I mean, as well, hey, listeners, welcome to see you <laughs> next week in space. Sarah Walsh here with my sister, Amy. In case for one second you thought that you had tuned into the drinks podcast. Hey, let's just, just talk about, hey, welcome. This is 10 minutes of ladies talking about drinks. Every week we talk for 10 minutes about drinks. Um, the reason why this sort of matters to the, to the worldscape of this podcast is that Amy sometimes gets, or I think, Amy, this is how I, my perception is, is that sometimes you get irritated because while we're recording or before we're recording or soon after we're recording, I'm like, I got to go because I desperately need to pee. Yeah, no, I don't get annoyed at that. That's <laughs> absolutely... So, okay, this this... Conversation is more just to let you listeners have a window into our glamorous and fabulous lives. Um, it is nothing to do, however, with the television episode that we are talking about today. So, Amy, no. why don't you tell everyone what we're talking about today? So, this is one that uh, I literally was never on my radar, and not that my radar for sci-fi was that, you know attuned. Right. <laughs> but um, this one I never heard of. I had to continually look back through, through our text messages, be like, what was it she, what did she call it, that thing we're watching? <laughs> um, so we're watching, we watched an episode of a show called Electric Dreams. Mm -hmm. And the episode we watched was called Impossible Planet. Right. And that's so literally all I know. This is an anthology show that at the moment has but one season. Um, it may end up having more as time goes on. And um, depending on where you're finding it, you may just see it listed as Electric Dreams, but you also may see it listed by its complete name, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. And that is based on the fact that all of these, all of the stories explored in this particular season are based on various different short stories, I think mostly short stories anyway, um, by the very, very famous sci-fi author, Philip K. Dick. Um, so I've had you never heard that name in my life. I was going to ask you if you'd ever heard of him before. Um, no. So he, like we, this, we don't really need to get super into his life, but I do think it's interesting just to kind of know, um, he's one of the, uh, kind of like golden age of sci-fi writing, um, for short stories and novels. Uh, he kind of, he's born in 1928 and dies in 1982, um, and he's mostly kind of, he comes to best prominence in the 60s. Um, and then because of that, because of that timing, he's part of what is often considered to be like one of the golden ages of science fiction writing. Um, I guess certainly the most recent golden age of science fiction writing. Um, mm -hmm. 
And what's really kind of too bad, but also kind of strangely interesting about him. So I'll just say some of the things that he's best known for. Um, he actually wrote the novel that is the basis for the show we did talk about, The Man in the High Castle. Um, oh, okay. Yep. Uh, he also wrote uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which I think is where this name, Electric Dreams, comes from. Um, what he, was that title again? <laughs> it's called Do, Do An- Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Yes. Whoa. Okay. Um, he also, um, the movies Blade Runner, Total Recall, oh. Minority Report, and oh. A Scanner Darkly, all of those are based on books and novel and short stories of his. About three out of four of those are very recognizable. Yes. Um, I, a Scanner Darkly is more of a cult one, I would say. Yeah, that one I don't um, know. Now, the other thing that's kind of worth mentioning, um, just because it's like, uh, I don't know, like... Uh, it says, I think it maybe has some pertinence to this particular episode. Um, so Philip K. Dick, he, his stories are often about aliens, often about kind of the, what makes human beings truly human. Like what are the good qualities about humanity and what are the bad qualities about humanity? How might uh, humanity interface with technology and what kinds of uh, potential outcomes might there be for that. Um, so these are some of the major themes. And the, I mean, those are not unique to him. Those are pretty common sci-fi questions, generally speaking. Um, mm-hmm. But in his case, um, Philip K. Dick believed and often said that he had various paranormal and alien experiences in his life. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, he basically, like, he dies after a series of um, kind of strokes in uh, 1982. But also, up, like, leading up to that point, um, he was starting to really decompensate and, like, was feeling like maybe uh, his stories were not really stories that maybe they were like communications from aliens and things. Um, Yeah, so I never like to retroactively give like psychological or medical diagnoses of people. Like, you know, it's like at the time, if they were not diagnosed with something, we can't definitely say for sure this is what, uh, they experienced, um, but it does seem well, we're like also a medical podcast too. You can't forget. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is more coming out of my like <laughs> academic stuff that I yeah, do. Yeah. Um, but basically, um, you know, it's to me, it's just interesting that by the later years of his life, there was this very weird kind of sliding doors situation happening for him, where it was like were the stories I was writing, was I writing them because I'm creative or was this evidence? creating them because, mm, yeah. It was like, is life imitating art or is art imitating life? Right. So um, that just seems like it's kind of 
good to just know like who, who mm-hmm. the person is who's creating the source material that then generates this show. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you said, the episode we're watching and talking about today is called Impossible Planet. Um, and as is often the case, this was on Amazon Prime. This is an Amazon original show. So all the episodes dropped on the 12th of January, 2018. Mm. Um, and I, one of the things I did like about uh, this episode, and in fact, I've watched at least one or two others from this anthology, and it's also just because of the structure of short stories, uh, there are very mm. few characters. Um, I like and that. That I helped do, me a some, lot. I, somehow I really enjoy that, but I guess it's also because um, that lends itself to then actually like thinking about some of these bigger questions that the story raises because you're not well, like sure. distracted with other kind of side plots. Well, being or like, things. who's that guy? And then who's that guy? And then, I mean, that's <laughs> again, we were speaking a little bit before about how my brain is very simple and <laughs> I. I, I can't really like, I don't retain as much as I should, but when you add like a million people and they all have kind of like fanciful future names on top of it, like it definitely, uh, slows me down in the, um, cognitive ability to take in a show. Yeah. Um, so We'll start with, um, I guess, kind of the main protagonist, or certainly the person who's driving the narrative of the story, which is a character Mm -hmm. named Irma, who is played by Geraldine Chaplin, who was 74 when this came out. Um, And if you were wondering, she is, in fact, the daughter of Charlie Chaplin. Um, That is so interesting. Yes, she is the first daughter... Um, that Charlie has with his final wife. Um, wow. And if you've, any of you who are interested in the life of Charlie Chaplin, you can check out um, the movie where I think it's um, Robert Downey Jr. plays him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in and of itself is a story because uh, when, when Geraldine was born, Charlie Chaplin was 55 and Una was 19 years old. Um, yeah, what you mean that her, you mean Una being his wife was nineteen? Correct. Okay, that's a little bit. Mm. They got married when she was eighteen. Oh wow! Yeah, um, and that actually is part of the reason why Geraldine Chaplin has um, more of a European sensibility, and as I will say, more of a. European acting career. Um, She is born in California, as you might expect, of a Hollywood actor's child. Um, Mm -hmm. But then Charlie Chaplin goes on a publicity tour to, I think, England um, in like the early 1950s, I want to say. I forget Mm -hmm. which movie he's promoting. Um, but he had already been having various scandal troubles in the United States mm. um, that in part was related to his marriage to a teenager, but mostly was about um, his he was being perceived as a communist. 
Um, and so this is the early 1950s, not quite into the McCarthy 1950s and the kind of House of Un-American activities. We're not quite there mm-hmm. yet. Um, but basically what ended up happening is that when he and his family leave to go to Europe to do this promotional tour, uh, he, a judge, and I can't remember the judge's name now, basically says, you cannot come back to the country. Um, and so he and his whole family end up kind of settling in Europe and Geraldine ends up going to boarding school in Switzerland where she becomes fluent in Spanish and French. And she begins, um, training to become uh, a ballerina. So that's her kind of early, uh, teen days. Um, eventually, uh, as is often the case, about uh, ba- truly pursuing ballet, she realizes is not really in the cards for her. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't remember what she said, because some people are like, oh, I realized I was never going to have the body for it, or I realized I was never really like up to the challenge mentally. Um, I don't recall her saying well, either. I don't know. I'd be curious, like, I mean, the only picture I can have of her in my head right now is this from this movie where she's 74, and obviously your body changes a lot, but if um, she had not been affected by old age making her shorter, she was, for, like, a prima ballerina, she seemed like she may have been too short. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things. Ballet, in particular, is an extremely challenging career path to choose. Oh my gosh. Um, we need to have the right talent and you do like, I mean, there's, there's no getting around the fact that body type and body, everything about your body is like a huge part of it. Yeah. You know, whether people want to like that or not, that is unfortunately what that business is. Yeah. So she goes from doing that, pursuing that to transitioning into acting. Um, she is still in Europe. So her first, major breakout role is in Dr. Zhivago, one of our mother's favorite films. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, from 1965. I've watched it, too. It used to be one of those movies that was on two VHSs. Oh, God. Yeah, that's... Oh, yeah, I remember us having that now that I I remember being... Because I remember like being like, oh, what's a, what is that boring ass movie that's on that two doubled? The only other double VHS that I remember is Titanic, and that one I of course did watch. Well, and My Bob Fair Lady, My Fair Lady oh, yeah, was yeah, a double yeah. VHS. Those were now you've learned all the double VHSs we had in our childhood home, <laughs> <laughs> um, and they are a weird kids, mix. If you don't know what a VHS is, Google it. <laughs> And they were a weird mix. Dr. Zhivago, Titanic, and My Fair Lady um, were what we had. Yeah, that is. Um, That is weird. She plays Dr. Zhivago's, if I remember correctly, she plays his, like, long-suffering wife because uh, Dr. Zhivago is played by Omar Sharif, and he and this other lady, Lara, are the ones who, like, are truly in love, but they've had, like, bad timing. Is this Dr. Zhivago podcast? What's happening? <laughs> anyway, it doesn't really matter, but, like, so, anyway, that's her breakout rule. Um, yeah, yeah. And her, Euro- as I've said a couple times, like, her European career is far more developed um, than what she ends up doing in American films. Um, so anybody in Europe or even kind of generally outside of the U.S. probably would find her recognizable a lot more than most American audiences would. Um, mm-hmm. 
In terms of American audiences, she did, in fact, play her own grandmother when the Charlie Chaplin movie came out that I just mentioned in 1992. Um, She also appeared in one of the more recent famous Almodovar movies, uh, Hable con ella, or Speaks with, Talk to Her. Um, and then super recently for people who are into the crown, she played the aging and aged Wallace Simpson. Um, so she's still kicking. She's still got quite the kind of, I guess, gas in the tank to keep going. Um, yeah. So the next character listed on the cast list via IMDb is a character referred to as Andrews. And this is played by an actor named Benedict Wong, who was 48 when this show came out. Um, he is a I British guy. Him. Uh, he's a Mancunian. Yeah, he's a Mancunian. Do you know what that means? No idea. It means he's from Manchester. Oh, I've never heard that term before. I've only recently heard it, and I find it weird so I thought I'd use it because there's very rarely an opportunity for me to use it. Yeah. Um, and so his kind of uh, track to fame or whatever is that, um, as you would expect, he's a Brit uh, for a British actor. He does a lot of TV, mm-hmm. um, kind of beginning in the early '90s and then carrying through even into today. But then starting in um, the twenty. 20- basically, he starts seeming to move up the ranks and being kind of a lower status player. And a lot of movies that we have actually talked about, like Prometheus, The Martian, yeah. mm-hmm. and Black Mirror. <laughs> so he's yeah, I definitely in all I, of those. I knew I recognized him. I couldn't necessarily place him in any of those movies you just mentioned or Black Mirror. I'd have to like be told what he was, but I definitely recognize him in a general sense. Yeah, and he you might have recognized him most of all, probably his biggest profile role up to now is that he was um, like one of the sidekicks of Doctor Strange. Oh, I don't think I've seen that, so I'm not sure that that would be what I know him from. Not much of a Benedict Cumberbatch fan? I'm not. I'm not. not it's not even that I'm not. I just, I've not seen that. Fair enough. Um, and then as well, one and in these more in let's say the last ten years, I also noticed that a lot of his uh, credits are in science fiction things. So in addition to all the stuff I've already mentioned, he's also in Annihilation, which is a science fiction movie with Natalie Portman as the lead, and oh. then he's also in Gemini Man. Um, hmm. which has Will Smith as the lead, but it's like Will Smith as he is now, and then a young version of Will Smith. Did you ever oh, see whoa. previews for that? Um, we might do that, because I am a bit curious about how that... Mainly that just sounds- I want to see how they do the aging down thing. So the next character is the other protagonist. Um, he And he's the only one that we know his full name. His full name is Brian Norton. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's played by an actor named Jack Rayner, who's 26 when this came out. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting about him, similar to Geraldine Chaplin, he is born in the United States. His mom is Irish. And then it didn't elaborate, but I have to assume that like the relationship between her and his father didn't really go well because mm. when he was about two years old, um, she moves them back to Ireland. And then mm. 
Um, he is raised by her and her parents. Huh. Um, and so that's why he has an Irish accent uh, going on. I did like on. his accent. I yeah. that. Um, and it did make me wonder, like, and I know I wrote this somewhere in my notes. I was like, so accents will exist in the future. Yeah, that's, that's a, nice. That's a, that's a great point. <laughs> that's something that I didn't even think about until you just said that. Because uh, as we'll learn as we go on and talk about the rest of this episode, um, you know, they are not on Earth. So, no. uh, you know, and he... There, yeah, accents really do exist because then the other guy is British and he's got an accent. Right. But technically and they then live on the same planet, Irma, question mark? Yeah, and Irma has an American accent. Yeah, that's very interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and so because of his Irishness, I just wanted to say this because it was funny. He was in an early TV movie called Chasing Leprechauns. I mean, what else would an Irish person be? And that's all you can do. I don't. The thing is, it's like, I want to know, like, I don't want to actually look up what that movie is about. I just want to imagine what I think it's about. (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, I have a feeling that it's exactly the way it sounds. In my mind, what it is, is it's like a whimsical family movie where Jack Rayner, like, you know how in cartoons when someone's trying to be sneaky, they like go up on their tiptoes and they like lift their knees real high and they're like, boom, 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 boom. I'm like imagining him doing that after a little tiny leprechaun who's like got like a bindle of gold. That's That's what I want. Okay. Well, that's a nice dream in your head. I think. (laughs) Um, I think if you look it up, you'll be very disappointed because first of all, it's from what I'm seeing really quick is it's from 2012. So he's not a child in it. Um, Right. No, I don't want him to be a child. I want him to be a grown man, like bouncing after leprechauns. Uh, cause I just find that funny. All right. I don't think that's what it is. <laughs> is it a horror movie? No, it looks more like a really like a sappy Hallmark movie is what it looks like. Oh, it looks like it's a, it's like a horror movie, St. Patrick's Day. It's a horror movie. I said horror movie. I meant Hallmark movie, like a St. Patrick's Day Hallmark movie. Oh, that's, that's too bad. <laughs> um, but I'll let you have your little dream about it. Yeah, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it like, it's like leprechauns, but like leprechauns as if they're Smurfs. And then he's just like looking for them. Um, And then more recently, probably most recently, he was in the movie Midsummer. Did you ever see Midsummer? I did. I did. I can't picture him in that. I can't remember which one he was, but they all also like in that little village all were supposed to look the same. So I can't recall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's another movie that fits into movies and stories that annoy me just a touch because I don't understand what's happening (laughs) and for what reason. Um, Well, we will get to... I found that that one disturbing, but I know it was very well regarded. Yes. And then the final character of note um, that we see in this is the robot that assists Irma. Um, And that's called RB29. And the person who plays the physical role is an actor named Malik Ibhis, or Ibhis. I'm not totally sure how to pronounce his last name. Mm -hmm. Um, It's unclear how old he is from his IMDb page. Um, 
it seems like, you know, he's slowly working up the ranks. Um, maybe it didn't indicate, like, maybe he's more of a stunt guy kind of mm. thing. Not totally clear. Um, and then the person who voices RB29 is a guy named Christopher Staines. Also, it's unclear how old that guy is. Um, he does appear to be British. Um, does the and robot strain, have a British accent? I can't remember. Not really. Okay. Um, but I uh, I inferred from the different credits that this actor had that probably he's a British guy. Okay. Um, and intriguingly, this is the only voice role he's ever done. Most of his other stuff is just like a, one appearance on whatever show. Um, huh. So I'm not... So he's not like a voice, he's not a go-to voice actor person, but all right, all the, all the same, I thought, I actually found RB29 to be an interesting and compelling character in this story. Yeah. Um, so we shall see what transpires. So the other thing I will say that I enjoyed about this is that, um, because the story is just one story there's no a a plot and b plot and there's only these a uh, handful of characters um this is the shortest outline i think i've ever done i know i'm excited for anything. about it let's get um it. <laughs> <laughs> and but i do, but i think what we will find is though the story is simple that doesn't necessarily mean that it's like boring or easy or anything no. um so Anyway, we have our cold open, and what we see in the cold open is that Norton, as he's initially mostly discussed, um, is like in a cockpit sort of thing, and there's like, I think there's like classical music playing, um, and what we see is that there are people, so he's in a little separate cockpit area, and then there are people in an observation deck with big windows, and they're watching um, like a nebula or something, some kind of space phenomenon through the window. Mm-hmm. And um, it becomes clear that what is happening is that they're on a tour and he's yeah. like their tour guide because he's giving them kind of useful information about the phenomena that they're watching or phenomenon, I should say, that they're watching through the window. Um, and... As like the music is about to crescendo, um, you see, you look at the screen that he's using to kind of monitor everything, and the screen is like um, there's some kind of like problem. So the normal like display of lights that would happen naturally from this particular space cloud mm-hmm. are not going to happen. Do you want to enhance mm-hmm. the visuals um, for the people watching? And he says yes. And so then he pushes a button and then it's like big kind of like uh, like a, almost like an Aurora sort of like starburst thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this ability to make things look enhanced um, is important for later. So that's yeah. why this cold open is important. Um, so then we then we cut into the office where Andrews and Norton are sitting at their respective desks. Um, and um, much like you were saying that, like, the first half of this show, you were like, what's happening? I don't know what's happening. The first little bit for me, too, I was like, wait, so 
okay, so it's a space tour and who are these guys? And like, why are they sitting in this crappy like metal box? Um, but then I realized I was like, oh, that's like their office where they mm-hmm. do like all of their kind of, um, paperwork at the end of yeah. the day. Um, I also really found something about the space like porn. erotic dancing. <laughs> I don't know what it he was. was watching space porn. I mean, it, I feel like that was his, like, that was his porn, don't you think? It was weird. Well, it, I wouldn't call it, it porn, seem, but I'm just saying, I think he yeah. said it's my happy place or it's my happy time. And it was like yeah. a woman in body paint just like dancing. I mean, I did, it was porny in the sense that you knew she was nude under the paint. But, and it was porny because wasn't it like also closing up on her boobs a lot? Yeah, and he said it's his happy time, and they showed him, like, scarfing down food, like, watching it, like a gross creepo. Well, I don't think that... Just because he's happy watching it doesn't mean it's pornographic. Well, the other guy... But it was sort of the other guy's reaction to it, too, like... Yeah, he, you're right. He doesn't seem comfortable about what he's seeing. He's like, what the hell is... I think he literally says, what the hell is that? And, like, if it was something that was, quote-unquote, normal... You know, he probably wouldn't have said that. I guess. I don't know. Anyway, I mean, it was weird. Also, the paint that she had on was like very much like um, kind of like a Picasso or like a, yeah. a more like, um, you know, those ones by Mondrian or Modrian that where it's all the different like geometric like rectangles and it's like mostly white with like black lines and then some of it will then one square will be like red and one will be blue and one will be yellow you know those I mean I can't not totally but that is what she looked like something like that yeah yeah so I also was just like oh yeah remember like there was that to me anyway I remember a phase like maybe in the mid to late 90s where body paint was like (laughs) a cool thing uh, yeah, I don't even know if it was mid to late nineties, but I know that like, <laughs> I'm going to put some girls in my college on blast, but I like <laughs> when like we had parties in college, like some girls, like I remember one girl in particular would come and like her edgy outfits were that she would wear just like a shirt that was body, just paint. body paint. Yeah. Um, maybe it remains. I don't know. Maybe but, it's still a thing. Uh, I don't know. I cl- it clearly remains well into the future because this is very deep future that we're in. <laughs> True. Um, and he's watching this. But yes, you're right. Norton's reaction is like he's and he's like walked in on something that he doesn't want to be a part of. Yeah. Um so they're like backing and forthing, doing their various like planning. It seems like what they're doing is kind of planning the schedule for the upcoming week and yeah. Um, also in this like back and forth, you see that Andrews is very much like anti-customer. Yeah. (laughs) Like much like anybody in any service industry. Uh, it's like, I need these people to exist so that my industry exists so that I make money, but I absolutely hate every person. And I need them generally to leave into my path. Yes. Yeah. Uh Um, which I so absolutely identify with. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, so in the midst of this, uh, Irma and RB29 uh, walk up to the door. We don't see them yet, but then we hear a knock on the door. 
And because Andrews is in his anti-customer rant, he shouts like, we're closed, come back tomorrow. And the knocking just gets more and more persistent. And he's like, you fuck faces, why don't you understand? <laughs> we're shut. Um, so finally, Norton is like, I, this guy. And he like opens the door. And who does he see straight away um, is very tiny, gray-haired Irma. Or I should say, actually, white hair. Yeah. Um, and then... Immediately, and all of a sudden we ha- cut to a bicycle and right. I'm like, what's happening? Yes, that was confusing to me as well. So we have this flashback of a red bicycle and you can tell that like two people are on it and it, it seems like maybe it's going down a country road and you're like, yeah, okay, all right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then Norton is trying to talk to Irma and she's not really reacting. So then her robot assistant, RB29, like steps in and he's like, Irma is deaf. um, And what she wants to do is she wants to book a tour to go to Earth. And now Andrews has like perked up and heard this interchange. And he's like, Earth doesn't exist anymore. And I was like, whoa. Yep, Earth doesn't exist, GTFO, we're not going. Um, or if it, if it does exist, nobody knows where it is anymore. Um, and so that, I think, as a viewer, is our first cue that this is very far in the future. Right? Well, we like so anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, it's one thing to be it's like... confirmed that it is far into the future, but... yeah. But I think, to me anyway, that's what it, that meant yeah. to me. is like, oh, we must be really, really far into the future if people know that it existed but don't know where it is. Um, yeah. And wouldn't, wouldn't know how to get there even if they could. Yeah. Um, and so that, but, you know, Irma and RB29 are very committed and stand firm And RB29 explains that Irma is 342 years old. She looks great. She looks awesome. (laughs) I hope I look that good just when I'm not even one century old. Like if I'm just in the ballpark of a century and I can look like this lady, I think I'd I'd feel pretty good. Yeah. Um, And so basically, but the reason RB29 is telling them just how old she is, is like that this is basically her dying wish that she wants to go to earth. She's very aged and most to the point she has, and this is a direct quote, two kilo plus, which is something to do with money to pay Mm -hmm. for this trip. Now they never show us, but then RB29 holds out a big like suitcase and he yeah. says she doesn't have a, a bank account, like an electronic bank account, she'll pay in cash and then he holds out this briefcase. Mm-hmm. So my question then is does 2 kilo plus does that mean it's gold? I you know what? I didn't even have one thought. I was like new money, okay, whatever that means. Um but probably something where, or just that. Because kilo is a weight. Right. Right. So, like, it so has whatever to be. Currency is, is now measured in weight. Right. So, so it has gold, to I be. Guess. So, it, well, it doesn't, I guess it doesn't need to be gold, but it could be, it could be like gold, silver, um, diamonds, diamonds ma- like anything, any like physical thing where measuring mm. in weight would be. Yeah. 
Well, then, and they say it's enough but, money for them to retire. So it's, I mean, whatever that means too. Right. Well, I think they just say they can live off of it for f- like five years. Oh, okay. I thought they so, were So, like I mean, so it's cer- it's clearly a lot, but, yeah. you know, it's not. Um, but I guess probably we should assume that this is also her life savings. Right. Right? Yeah. I would assume. Um, now, here's just another question that this made me think about. Like, if humanity is such that someday, like, cause that's, that's always the thing, right? Is like that technically as time goes on, we're all going to live longer and longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that in lots of different science fiction things. People just mm-hmm. casually say I'm 150 or 200 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, 300 is really getting up there. I feel yeah. like for a human body to live. That yeah. Long. Um, do you think you would want to live that long if you could? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's tough because, like, my gut reaction is no, I wouldn't because the assumption would be you would be very uh, unhealthy by that point or not feel good being old. Is kind well, of that's the other hard. component to this that I don't understand is, like, is the whole life cycle of humanity slowed down such right. that like a 10 year old looks like a 40 three year old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That I don't, that I'm not sure what, I if that's know. the case. I mean, I do think that w- if that's the, the way that we're going, which I guess it kind of is, I mean, not 300, but like we'll have to kind of figure out, we got a lot of stuff to figure out first, I feel because <laughs> the, <laughs> the population would then be very large to the point where I don't think. Well, like, they've got we like hundreds of planets to live on. Well, now, I mean, yeah, at this point, yeah, sure, maybe. I mean, we would just have to evolve a lot for this to be a possibility as as it stands right now. Like, if we're talking, like, do I want to live to three hundred forty two now? Is the way the world is? No, because I would. Oh God, nobody. that would be like that would be actually like that might make me believe that hell and heaven exist. Because if you were condemned to live on Earth for three hundred years as things are now, I'd be like, please give me death. Well, it's sort please. of like being, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's sort of like I mean, in the now times, it's sort of like being given immortality in a mortal world, which is like seems like a a cool power, but really is kind of a curse because you watch everyone you know die and then right. you're like, well, I'm still here. What the hell? You know, I don't know. Yeah. yeah I, don't I mean, me. I, I also don't like the thought of being that old. I mean, it, it would just, it would so fundamentally change like what it means in some way, like not everything about being a human being, but it would change like, cause like, at the moment, most people are like, I basically will probably have like maybe two to three shots at like whatever I think my career is going to be, you know, <laughs> like just based on time alone. Like yeah. some people try more things, but generally well, if I live people... to 342, I'm going to still retire at 70 and then expect to like have... <laughs> but then... But then literally, like, years. what do you do with the time? Like, you know, like, I you have to come up retired with something. Get massages. Um, I don't know. I guess. Um, <laughs> anyway, so so t- they so then we cut to later, and Andrew's and, Nor- and 
are sitting in the office and we are meant to assume that they have taken on this job because Andrews is at his computer researching the details about Earth. Mm -hmm. And what we as viewers learn through that research, we learn that Earth is last inhabited in the year 2451. So I'm so sorry, Planet of the Apes, people leave before 3968. Planet of the Apes, you got it wrong. And it's good that everybody left in 2451 because then in 2673, there's a, a solar fire, and I'm not totally sure what that's supposed to mean. And basically, that the renders. The sun explodes, maybe? I don't know. I mean, so, but basically, it renders the planet inhabit- uninhabitable. Yeah. Um, and then it, according to this story, basically just drops out of people's minds entirely. <laughs> Okay. Um, Now, in terms of placing like where this story occurs, later on, Irma says that her grandmother lived to be 279 years old and she did live on Earth. Um, So we have to assume that probably this story is happening maybe in the... 2700s? It probably can't be much more than that because, like, between Irma's grandmother and herself, that's only about 600-year window of time Yeah, between when Earth is last inhabited. So maybe it could even be as late as maybe the 28 or 2800s, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure someone has actually probably tried to figure that out, but I don't really need to. Yeah, no, we're good. Um, but basically what Andrews is trying to do is to try and find a planet in the charted, uh, universe that he can substitute for earth. So he can say, we've taken you there. Um, and what he finds is this planet so fun, that's tricking old people. Uh, what he finds is, I mean, Amy, if they weren't I mean, so easily it. trickable, Listen, it. it wouldn't be a problem. Listen, I get it. It's fun to like give them like, you know, prank call and tell them their credit card is stolen and like, just tell me your credit card number and like, I'll get it fixed for you. Don't worry about it. That's fun. I get it. But like, geez. It does seem mean spirited. I'm kidding. That's horrible. But in, <laughs> but in this this scenario, I do understand where he's coming from. Yeah. You know. So he's like, he, cause he wants the money and he's like, we can just make some place that's close, um, look like earth to her because of how they can manipulate the visual images yeah. and stuff. He's and like, that's all we can, need to do. They think they can provide her with the experience she wants. They do not know yet how specific of an experience she's looking for. Right. And, um, and Andrew's, Basically, and Norton has some misgivings about this. Yeah. Um, and he's like, the point is, what we are going to do is we are going to do this trip totally off the books, keep it totally secret, and then we can keep all of the money that she gives us. We'll split it up. Mm-hmm. And so each of them will get one kilo plus. And that's when Andrew says that's basically like five years' salary for each of them. Listen, I get it. Um, yeah. So, and the other kind of component to this. Um, is that Andrews can't do this alone. He needs at least one other person to run the ship. So he needs Norton's help. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and also the, Norton seems to be like a better front man, if I'm being honest, because yeah, of he's got more of the face of the business. Well, well, yeah, that and also like the aforementioned edge that Andrews has when it comes to customers. Yeah, he's a behind the scenes guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, Norton's still on the fence about this, but then he gets a call from his really horrible girlfriend. Um, I didn't get her. Like, look, I feel like there's far more often the trope of girlfriends being annoying (laughs) and nagging and shitty uh, than there are boyfriends, but maybe that's just because I'm a woman, so I'm, like, more, like, sensitive to that portrayal. Yeah, Um, I think the portrayals are just different. Like, boyfriends are seen as generally the the negative... um, uh, the negative way that men are portrayed are of them being sort of aloof and not caring. The way that women are portrayed as uh, obnoxious is that they're naggy and, like, up your butt. Yeah, yeah. And particularly what Barbara wants, that's the name of his girlfriend. Um, Barbara has apparently been bugging Norton for years, apparently, um, about trying trying to get a better job so that they mm. can be transferred to a planet that keeps being referred to as Primo Central. Oh yeah, it's um, about the planet. They just they did keep yeah. saying that. I didn't understand that. Okay. Yeah, that's like a part of the story that isn't Primo really elaborated. That's yeah, kind of that's funny. not really elaborated on because in this whole interchange, she's like talking to Brian and she's like, have you heard about your promotion? And he's like, no, I'm waiting to hear back. And then she's like, you better check your vid mail. And <laughs> so he does. And then he gets this pre-recorded message from what's the guy's name? I have it somewhere. Oh, from Linus Primo. Um, who's got some edgy-ass hair. Oh, my God. I don't remember Um, this part. It's a weird, like, pinky... It looks like it belongs on a Who from Whoville. Um, (laughs) But it's also very, like, Hunger Games. I gotta be honest. I'm not excited for fashion in the future. I gotta say. Everything looks really tight. I I mean, I appreciate the, like, kind of... Uh, iridescentness of it all sometimes and like the like fun experimental yeah. hair but do you remember what the F show was it where the hair was all crazy oh I think it was Battlestar anyway oh yeah the, that was like everyone had a weird hair thing hair going on but it's the like, tight outfits like there's not enough sweatsuits in the future I feel like for well my that just that just depends on our renderings of the future because like remember when we did Oh, night flyers. Everyone had like very relaxed looking like I don't even remember um, that. What that what what is that? <laughs> that was when the ship was like trying to kill people. Whoa. I literally don't remember that. But I can't, like I can't remember what their outfits were. Yeah, I guess maybe you're right. Maybe like there are some that look like more tunicky. And yes, there's like I, different takes on what the future yeah. will bring us. But yeah. usually, I will say, usually when some element of the story is about how there's like a really massive, fu- like 
economic inequality in the future, that's when you get those weird hairstyle things. That seems yeah. to be the indicator that of like wealth. there are yeah, there are people at the top who can do all this crazy shit and they and yeah. maybe they even have like wild plastic surgery stuff or like these kind of um, body enhancements that yeah. people in the lower half uh, simply cannot afford. So then they, I mean, so like Andrews and Norton look. Even to now, if you think about yeah. like celebrities and like they usually choose crazier hairdos. Well, yeah. And even just like if you really want to have an edgy hair dye job and maintain it, you, you don't you need, need like, a, but yeah, you need money to really do it. Um, and the more whatever of that you're going to do, the more money you need. Yeah. And like also like even just a rich person's kind of understanding of what casual wear is seems to be very <laughs> different from the rest of us. Um, yeah. so I mean, I anyway, sure Louis Vuitton and Gucci have sweatsuits, but still. Yeah. Um, but so basically we see this really over the top guy in a pre-recorded video because then he says like, oh, so glad you're interested in the Primo Corporation, blah, blah, blah. And then it just has like the words, Brian Norton, your thing oh, was yeah. rejected, like stuck into it. Yeah. And so Norton is watching this on his computer while his girlfriend Barbara is like still connected. So like all of this <laughs> is happening. And so the video ends and then Norton like looks to Barbara and she's like, see, so like, whatever, what are you going to do about it? Um, and I forget if this is at this conversation or at their later conversation, but in a nod to having a bit more empathy for Barbara, she says like, I came with you when you took this job and you said, and it's not clear where they're starting out from, but it's not yeah. one of the, pre the prefer, it's not this primo central planet. Um, <laughs> And, you know, she was like, I came here for two years. You said we were going to be here two years. It's been longer than that. And I, you know, I just don't want to be here anymore, basically. Yeah. Um, so, so, so like, basically, right, screw you. I'm going to Earth. <laughs> well, no, at this point, what he d decides is that this money that he's going to get from this secret mission, he will be able to use that and ultimately get them get he, him and his girlfriend to primo central with the money not with like getting a better job so that's mm -hmm. his driving force behind doing this um so then we cut to the observation deck on this ship and i gotta say like i mean there weren't many special effects in this because there didn't really need to be but i did like the shots the external shots of the ship i thought it looked really cool um, and what we're seeing is that at this stage, they are about three and a half days away from reaching what they're telling Irma is earth. Mm -hmm. Um, and Brian brings Irma a cocktail, which looked great. And I liked the glass it came in. Oh, yeah. Um, and it was called a caster fireball. And Whoa. I don't know if that's a real thing, but I'm like. I would like to try it mm -hmm. and see what it's all about. Um, and this I mean, is I'm when Irma of drinks that are called anything Fireball, but yeah, true. Um, but he also said it was a, with double vodka, so it doesn't have, I don't think, actual terrible Fireball rum in it. It has 
vodka in it. Is Fireball terrible? I literally don't know. It's not. It's, it's not my favorite. Because it's like it's cinnamony, um, right? It's yeah. That's why I don't like it. I don't uh, really like cinnamon flavor things. Mm, mm. Um, and as I mean, I haven't had it in years and years, and I don't know why it became like something people liked to take shots of. But I think because um, I think because of the name, honestly, it's like it sounds cool. Yeah, it is, but it is like because of the cinnamony, and it's not even very good booze. So like my only recollection of it now is like the taste of a big red piece of gum yeah. and like a burning down your throat. <laughs> like, ooh, ooh, ooh. I don't, for me, I'm like, this was, it was never my preferred if I was it's given so funny, an option. I've never had it, but I can exactly picture what that taste is. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. Anyway. It, it is definitely the alcohol version of big red. A hundred percent. Anyway, uh, in the process Brian and Irma talk a little bit, and really it's more Irma talking to Brian, which if you do talk to older people, that is how it goes. It's not really a conversation. <laughs> it's more like them telling you stuff that they remember, uh, <laughs> at least in my experience. <laughs> um, so could you be talking about? <laughs> Can't pinpoint it. Um... But so I'm talking about my, our grandmother who is aged <laughs> AF. Actually, both of our grandmothers would probably be like this at this point. <laughs> um, anyway, in this particular interchange, uh, Irma is talking about this grandmother of hers. That's how we learn that her grandma also is quite old. Mm-hmm. And she says that her grandmother always talked about this place called Elk River Falls, Carolina, which I did determine is a real place in I North Carolina. I did too. Carolina. I looked it up immediately. <laughs> um, and it looks real nice. And quite frankly, I am curious if they did any filming there. Um, Actually, that's it, a good question. I don't know. Let me see if IMDb tells me. Even if, even if they didn't, they definitely got a place that is for the ending sequence that is very reminiscent of the pictures I saw from Elk River Oh, Falls you mean like that quarry yeah. jazz? Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see here if it tells me. Because sometimes real, with TV like real, shows, like, they don't, they're not as good yeah, about telling say it. where the locations are. But it was, but it was interesting because, yeah, I looked up and it is a real place in North Carolina, though she kept saying Carolina. Right. Well, that's time. just because the t- like the the centuries that passed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um okay. It is not clear to me where they filmed cuz TV episodes sometimes don't provide um, Yeah, and it might, might be specific wrong, locations. It looked, it looked very reminiscent of the pictures I found online, so it, they clearly did their research on it. <laughs> yeah. Um so she's like telling this whole story about this is kind of where she wants to ultimately go when they arrive at earth because she i don't know there's this weird connection with her grandparents yeah that i don't fully understand yeah um but more to the point because irma is deaf brian cannot participate in this conversation so she is just telling him a story (laughs) um uh then some more time passes and we're into basically the following day um Mm -hmm. Brian finds Irma asleep on one of the chairs in the observation deck. um, And RB29 starts asking him questions like, why is it just the two of you? Normally there would be more people running this tour. And why didn't you file any paperwork? 
uh, before we left. And Norton has various answers to these mm-hmm. questions. Um, but we're already, as viewers, like, that RB29 sure is sharp uh, and seems to be at the edge of discovering the, like, illusion that is being mm-hmm. <laughs> um, wrought on his owner. Um, and this is when RB29 tells Brian that Irma has a heart condition and she won't live longer than another two months and so that this is her last trip. And you can see that uh, Norton is affected by this. Like, Mm -hmm. he maybe doesn't feel great about misleading her, um, particularly because she's dying. Mm so then, to be fair, we, they did tell her at the beginning that Earth was no longer existent, and she was uh, pretty uh, defiant. Well, not defiant. She was pretty um, insistent, insistent on you know wanting to go. And then so they, you know, she no, it is true. It is true. She's she's part of their kind of like new universe and part of their understanding as well. So she knows that the general belief is that earth doesn't exist, but she feels in her heart that it does. And she wants to go there. Um, so then we have a scene where Irma is in her quarters, getting ready for bed. And Brian brings her, her complimentary hot beverage, um, (laughs) which I always love complimentary anything, but especially a complimentary hot beverage is very nice. Um, (laughs) And then she asks him to kind of like sit with her uh, and chat a while. And now, unlike in the previous interchange, she's like, oh, I've got this pad that allows me to understand what you're saying as long as you just like speak up. Um, Mm -hmm. So she opens like a little like it looked like, you know, um, when texting was like super brand new and there were those phones that opened up like horizontal wise. Yeah. yeah like it looked like that. Or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. Totally. Kids, if you're under the age of 30, <laughs> look up sidekick phone and then you'll see what we're talking about. VHS um, and sidekick go. Yes. Um, learn history while you also learn about <laughs> science fiction. Um, and so she has this opened up so that it can, she's reading what Brian is saying as he's saying it. Um, and she asks a bit about him and this is where we learn that he was born on a planet called Primo 76. Um, and this is, and hit, and like, he kind of wishes that he could end up living on Primo Central. And she's like, do you really care about living on Primo Central? And he's like, no, it's more my girlfriend. And like, as Irma is asking about Barbara, he has another flashback of the red bicycle. So weird. Yeah. And like, we don't know yet what that means, but that is what we see. Um, And so they have like a bit of a heart to heart uh, in this interchange Um, and particularly like Irma is asking if he really loves Barbara and kind of what has been the obstacle to them getting married. Um, kind of personal, but okay. I mean, old people do that. They don't care. I guess. Um, and so ultimately they say goodnight and Brian leaves. Um, and as Brian is leaving, RB29, who seemed as though 
he was like in sleep mode or something, powers back up. Mm-hmm. And we learn that the reason he powers back up is because it's nighttime, so everyone's going to sleep. So the Andrews, who's in the cockpit, puts the ship on autopilot and goes to sleep mm-hmm. uh, there. And then we see RB-29 breaking into the cockpit, and he's looking through kind of like the flight plan, And that's when RB-29 discovers that they are not actually going to Earth, that in fact they're going to M-4-3. Now, for those of you who might be wondering, I'm not saying M the letter, 4 the number, and then 3 the number. I'm saying M-4 that is spelled E-M-P-H-O-R and then the number 3. That's the name of this planet. Get just right for clarity's everybody. sake. Just for clarity's sake. Yeah. Um, and then, oh, was this the part? No, I need to. Oh, yeah. This was the part where, like, so when RB29 discovers the ruse, he looks at the sleeping Andrews and then his eyes glow red. That was scary. I was like, Village of the Damned, we've seen this before. When is he going to, like, smash everyone into a gas pipe or something? Like, all he the things that... Been, I wish that he had. He was very menacing, and I was like, yeah. ooh, that robot, because, you know, he's figuring it out. Well, he was already on his way to figuring it out, and now he's confirmed it. Um, and because he's, like, Irma's assistant or protector, or slave, I'm not really sure. Um, but there is there does seem to be some kind of loyalty that he has yeah. to her. Um, mm-hmm. And so you're like, ooh, he's real mad about this faking thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does not, as I thought he might, kill Andrews. What? Nope. And I shouldn't call RB29 he, because it's never indicated that it's got a gender of any sort. Um, no, but the voice is of a male Done actor, by a male actor, yes. Um, so then we finally are on the observation deck, and we're learning that there's only about six hours until they arrive at Earth. And at this point, Irma is, like, getting very excited, and she's like, I can feel it. We're in the right solar system. I know we're here. Um, you know, I've been waiting for this my whole life kind of thing. And the more excited she gets, the worse Brian feels. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like, which totally makes sense. Um, So then when Irma kind of like leaves the room and Brian and Andrews are alone together, he's like, don't you think we ought to tell her what's going on? And Andrews is like, you better not fuck this up. Like, no (laughs) fucking way are we doing that. Um, And Brian is like struggling uh, with this situation. But Andrews is like, no, you can't do it. Um, and in the midst of their kind of unresolved fight between them, Irma calls them and is like, would you mind, I need somebody to help me with something. And so, um, like Andrews is basically like, you deal with it. I don't Mm -hmm. do customer stuff, (laughs) (laughs) which, and also like at this point, and I will say like acting wise as again, as simple as the story is what you are not getting from our relation of this tale is like the acting was done really well so that by this point you really know that there is some kind of connection that Brian and Irma are making. Um, Yeah, but you don't quite get it, or at least I didn't quite get it. I mean, I knew it was happening, but I wasn't really... I was like, 
is this a, it didn't feel like it was like a romantic connection but it um, sort of did at the same time right and that's it. so anyway they both did a really excellent it was sort job of, like a pure of doing love. yeah 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 like a it soul like a connection like, yeah it was sort of like puppy love in a weird way which makes like kind I don't know if that of makes sense. but like yeah it is, it's it's not fully platonic but it's not really like overtly sexual either if right that makes sense Yes. And this next scene is like, I think, illustrative of what we're trying to capture. So when Brian arrives at Irma's quarters, she is in this dress of her grandmother's that she has hung on to through centuries. Um, Good for her. I know. I'm like, woof. And she says, like, I need help uh, doing the back of the dress because it's hook and eyes and RB29 can't really do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brian's like, okay, fine. And so like, as he, so she, she, so, um, Irma like turns her back. So her back is like exposed. And as he's like doing the hook and eyes on the back of her dress. Yeah. It, it feels like, so it's not just their acting. It's also like the, the direction and the editing and all like it feels like a love scene the way this yeah. is put together um yeah. and it's not just unusual because the love scene involves someone putting clothes on rather than taking them off cuz <laughs> like we have seen that that is one of the Yay. things that people do a lot um but what's even more kind of like layered on to this is like while Brian is doing up the back of her dress, Irma is continuing to tell a story about these grandparents of hers who are the family members uh, who leave Earth to settle on the planet that she says she's from, which I think is called like Riga 2 or something. Um, And this story is basically about how they were so deeply in love, her grandparents. And I think this is when she also talks about how they skinny dipped together, um, which, you know, is not necessarily a sexy story or anything. Um, you can just tell a story, you know, but like, yeah, it it was an interest. It's just like an interesting tone that starts developing over the course of this scene. And what Brian says is like, um, he kind of envies her grandparents, this moment of going out into the universe and pioneering, um, because he's like, you know, now the universe is charted and I'm like, whoa, we figured out the whole universe. Yep. <laughs> that we seems got it. amazing. Ooh, um, check mark. and like 700 years from now, we'll have figured out the whole universe. I mean, yep. that's from what my understanding is the universe is infinite and so we could never do nope, it, but we anyway, figured it fine. out. Um, and so he says, like, you know, I what I, sounds wonderful about that is like the not knowing it of it all and all these mysteries that were out there to be discovered and un, unraveled. And Irma then turns back to him and kind of like pats his chest and says, the mysteries of the heart are still always there. And they have this look, and then Irma kisses Brian right on the lips. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brian is visibly moved by this kiss, but it's still unclear how what he's the heck moved. Is happening. Yeah, like, yeah, not sure what's happening. Um, and as they kind of share this moment, 
Uh, Irma also shows him a picture of... Oh, no, wait. First, over the loudspeaker, Andrews comes on and says, we're basically almost to Earth, so you might want to get out here. Mm-hmm. And then Irma shows, she's like, I knew, like, you were a good person, and I felt a connection, and she's like, here, let me show you. And she has this photograph of her grandparents, and when she shows it to Brian, what he sees is that her grandfather looks exactly like him. Yeah, that was weird. That It was weird, and I don't get it, because, (laughs) like... I have very fond memories of our grandfathers, but they are not sexual. They don't make me want to kiss. They don't make me want to kiss someone who looks like our grandfathers looked when they were young. No, grody. I hate that idea. Yeah. Um, This uh, this only gets weirder, guys. So, like, buckle up. Buckle up. up. (laughs) Um... So then after this moment they share, Brian goes into like what looks a bit like a computer lab um, and he calls up his girlfriend, Barbara, and he reveals to her that he does not want to move to Primo Central, that that really was never his dream. That was her dream. And Mm -hmm. Barbara is probably understandably like totally blindsided by this um, mm-hmm. and does not react well. She asks him uh, if he's met someone else. Yep, and a 342-year-old lady. Yeah, <laughs> I'm leaving you for a woman who is extremely old. Don't be offended. She um, would be so pissed. She would, it's true. Um, and then, like, in the midst of their call, like, the connection drops for a bit. And, I'm, and I don't know if that's supposed to tell us that a break with reality has already happened. Like, is that the moment, right? I'm not totally mm-hmm. sure. Um, but basically, when the call comes back online, uh, Bar- Brian is like, no, it's definitely not about meeting someone else. But, like, I just don't share this, like, kind of goal that you have. Um, and then they hang up the phone. And it's ne- and I was like, well, so are, have you broken up? Or, like, right. I don't know. Um, we never know, in fact, if that is what the point of that phone call was. Because now um, we return back to the observation deck. And Andrews is talking over the loudspeaker saying that they've arrived in Earth's solar system and he's like pointing out different kind of um, points of interest, I guess you could say, just Mm -hmm. as he would in any tour. Um, Because not only have they found M43, like the system has to be similar to our solar system for this to really work. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he's like, see, there's Mars right over there. And Irma is like, that's not Mars. Mars is red, and that planet's green. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Andrews is like, oh, shit. I guess my, like, research wasn't quite as in-depth as I thought. And so there's this, like, weird pause where Andrews, Norton, and RB29, like, look at each other, and there's, like, this kind of 
uh, understanding struck between them because then RB29 pipes up and he's like, oh, Irma, there was this radioactive event some amount of years ago and it totally changed the like identifiable features of the solar system. And then he lists like all the differences that there are. And there's like three or there are three or four like major ones. Like Saturn has lost all of its rings and um, Jupiter got a ring. (laughs) You know, you're like, Mm -hmm. whoa, whoa, whoa. It sounds like this place is nothing like our solar system at all. Um, But then both Norton and, Brian agree and are like, yep, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, that's what's happened. Um, and, and so that was interesting to me too, that it was never that RB 29 was, or maybe RB 29 was angry at one point when, um, they realized that this like was a scam in a sense, but then, Mm -hmm. They also were like, well, maybe that's okay. Because by this point, RB29 decides to be in on it as well. Um, Which is like, okay, I'm I'm not sure I get it. Um, But then Irma is like, I want to land. I'm looking for Elk River Falls. We've got to land. And Mm -hmm. everyone is like, no. That's that's not happening. Okay, little old lady, we've let you have your fantasies here, but no. And Andrews in particular is like, this is extremely dangerous because um, Earth has changed dramatically. Like, we can't safely land. The atmosphere is not the same. We can't breathe down there. Um, and we don't have suits. So we just, like, the, the, and he was like, and if you had wanted to do that kind of tour, there are different companies that provide that service, and we that's not what we do. Um, yeah. Uh, but I guess, I don't really remember how. Maybe it's just the power of elderly women. She's just like, <laughs> you are making us land. <laughs> and so yeah. finally... So that is what happens, and Andrews uh, is at the helm, and he lands them, but it's like a really rough landing. Yeah. Um, such that all of them get knocked around quite a bit, including Irma. Um, and this is when, like, Brian then starts having major returns to this red bicycle moment. Like, it keeps yeah. happening more and more frequently. Yeah. Um, they do in fact land on the surface and, um, now Irma is like, I want to go outside. And Andrew is like, look, pushing this. <laughs> I know he's like, look, I didn't want to even land here. It's, and our ship is kind of fucked up from it. So I'm, I cannot allow you to go outside because again, he's like, I don't have, we don't have the equipment. So you can't, even if you wanted to, um, But something, oh, that's when, let me see here. This is when things got a little bit convoluted for me. Um, Okay, so I think that perhaps RB29 starts doing something to Andrews because Andrews then gets this, like, massive, like, headache situation. Um, and so he's basically incapacitated for a few moments. 
Um, And in that time, Brian reveals that there are some EV suits that are meant kind of just for emergencies. And Mm -hmm. there are two. There's one that uh, Irma can wear, and then there's one that he can wear. And Mm -hmm. Irma is like, oh, that's great. Also, before we leave, can you put on this outfit of my grandfather's clothes? Yep. Weird. Very strange. Um, But he's like, sure, why not? Um, So they suit up and they start walking out into uh, the surf onto the surface of this planet, which looks terrifying because it's all just like gas and lightning and like weird, like stone claw things sticking up um, out of the ground. When Andrews recovers back in the ship, he then realizes that they have left the ship. And he's like, oh, no. And especially, he's like, I don't think Brian realizes that those suits are just, like, for super emergency purposes. So they only have a temporary amount of oxygen. Um, Mm -hmm. And so he's like, they're going to run out of oxygen if I like, and so he starts trying to contact them to say, you need to come back because those suits don't have, you're not going to stay alive as long as you think you might in those suits. Mm -hmm. But then again, RB29 intervenes because he has disabled the comm system. So Andrews can't talk to either one of them they're not getting the messages yeah meanwhile (laughs) uh out on the surface brian and irma are walking through this fog and then you you start to hear the sound of crickets Mm -hmm. and irma has like this look of kind of naive awe, I guess, is the way I would describe it. She's like, oh, it's here. We're here. I can feel it. This this is Elk River Falls, and I know it, and I feel it in my heart. And then she takes off her helmet, Mm -hmm. and when she turns back to look at Brian, uh, there's this moment where she still has white hair, but her face is young, like the picture, like the photo she showed him from before of her grandmother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the other thing. She doesn't turn into a younger version of herself. She turns into her grandma. Her grandmother. Very right. strange, yeah. And she's like, oh, come, come and join me. Look at how wonderful it is. And then there's like a tight close-up on Brian's face. and then all, And then as it starts to move out from his face, we see that now... He is in like a forest with a waterfall and a pond. So it's like, oh, it's Elk River Falls. And then he takes his helmet off as well. And he kind of like takes off the EV suit. So he's in these old timey clothes. Mm -hmm. And then we see Irma as her grandmother in this grandmother's dress with brown hair And now she's taking the dress off and she's completely nude and she goes skinny dipping in the water. The red bicycle is there. Mm -hmm. And then then Brian takes all his clothes off. He jumps into the water and then the two of them are like canoodling in the water 
And Irma says, I knew we'd make it, and that is the end of the show. Yep, no questions, got it, 100% makes sense. So we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. Do you think that what quote-unquote really happens is that both of them die? Because it shows that like... I do, sort of. Because it shows on the suits, on the EV suits, it shows them losing their oxygen and it going down to nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do sort of. That is like, I mean, my logical brain thinks that more than whatever the other alternative would be that they turn into their grandparents. Um, Right. Because... Because they're not on Earth, as we've learned or we've been told. Right. I'm like, I'm fine with, like, mystical developments, but they're not even on Earth. They never were. So whatever magical connection Irma thinks she feels for Earth, it's not real because they're not on Earth. Right, exactly. So I do think that they die. Unfortunately, and that right, and so then, do you think this scene where they're in the water? Do you think that's like the the hallucination that their brains are making, like in the final seconds of life? Yeah, I do. Something like that, something akin to that, I suppose. And what? Okay, now here's my real like metaphysical question: If that's what happens. When you die, like if your brain starts making some kind of alternative reality happen for you Mm -hmm. and for you in your brain, it feels like forever, Uh right? And like in the, in the real world, like you die after two seconds, but if in those two seconds you feel like you're continuing to exist into infinity. Mm-hmm. Are you existing into infinity? Like, is our mind, is like our perception well, think, reality, is that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and I mean, not totally, but I think time is relative and time is like, you know, has a very concrete meaning and then at the same time is totally just a construct, you know? Um, the way that, you know, <laughs> not to, this is a weird, I'm trying to think of like a good <laughs> um, parallel, but like, you know, when you're really high or something and the time No, time Amy, I would down. never know that because <laughs> being on drugs is illegal. I would never That's know. True. <laughs> That's true. I've only ever done, I've only ever done legal drugs because it's all legal now. But time morphs when you're in a different headspace. That's the only... Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, so you don't I even think, need to be high for that. That's no, like, you think don't. about a day when you're like super ass bored and how sure. time feels on a day like that sure. or how time has felt over this past year, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, that's, why that's what I mean by like time is all kind of, it's all relative. It's all kind of a lie. Like um, time speeds up as you get older. It slows down at other points. So yeah, I do believe that like you can experience something that like in the real quote unquote real world is taking two minutes, two seconds and the soul, I guess, if we're believing in that, whatever you believe in is experiencing it 
at, uh, you know, uh, infinity. A different level. way. Yeah. yeah. So then it's like maybe the afterlife exists in the sense that like those final moments and seconds of brain death, if that does manifest something that you're experiencing as though it's the afterlife and the, mm-hmm. as, as though it's going on forever, then mm-hmm. it's like, oh, the afterlife does exist, but it's not because like it's there's not some- the, like heaven and hell that we that right. you go there like and you're chosen you know, because you're good, here's where you go. Because you're bad, here's where you go. I do, I think something a little bit more um, believable to me personally is that like your mind takes you somewhere or your soul or whatever takes you wherever that may be for you. uh, That's, you know. I mean, the other thing there is like, that's fine. I guess I accept that. But then it's also like, but I'm not sure that you could experience that with someone else in the exact same way, like as positive yeah, here, and, that and they're that having both, the same yeah, like hallucinatory moment. And then yeah. the, the other, I guess I could say wrinkle, but that's maybe a bit too much of an on the nose pun, um, is that again, I'm like, so this woman's fantasy is to be her grandmother so that she can have sex with her grandfather. Yeah, it's weird. It's very weird. Um, that part is better. Like, let's not even get into it. Let's make it the nice, sweet little ending that I think it's supposed to be. And, right. you know, not dive deeper because it could get... Or or is weird. it maybe slightly less gross because are we supposed to think that maybe... This is like reincarnation because of that whole, yeah, like maybe. how he is like exactly looking like the grandpa. Right. Yeah. I think there's probably all types of, I'm sure there's lots more like religious allegory um, things here that I definitely would not be in tune with. Um, yeah. I, I, could, I could buy that. That makes me feel slightly less gross. Okay, let's go with that then. (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, All right. So as always, we will wrap up with yawns and eye rolls. Uh, Four yawns, one yawn being like, oof. Or no, opposite. One yawn is like, I'm into (laughs) it. I followed it. I was on board for the whole time. Mm. And ten Mm -hmm. yawns is like, oof, I really couldn't get into this thing at all. What would you give this? I would say I'm going to give it like four. Uh, it was not boring, but I did have to watch the beginning again to because I was it's more a me problem than the show. But, <laughs> um, I to fully understand like what the F was happening, even though that that's not about being boring. Um, yeah, I'll give it a four because I think, you know, not much happened. It wasn't like. Ooh, what's going to happen on the edge of my seat, you know, but it right. wasn't like, because it was short, it was okay. So four. Yeah. I mean, I would say, I think I'm going to give it a good old two, um, because okay. I didn't find it boring. And I thought generally the story moved along like in a good clip. Um, mm-hmm. it probably could have been tightened a, a bit, you know, but like mm-hmm. ultimately it's also like, you know, each one of these is supposed to be about 45 minutes or an hour long. So like they need to yeah. make sure that it's going to hit that. Um, yeah. but yeah, so I'll give it a two in terms of eye rolls. 
One eye roll is like, yeah, I guess there's an afterlife. Sure. Um, (laughs) and, And then 10 is like, yeah, I guess like, I don't know, there's an afterlife and your robots there and also your grandpa who you're in love with. All that. I, right, sure. Uh, where would you place this? Whoa. Uh, um, you go, oh gosh, I don't know. I think maybe I'm going to go more like a six here. Okay. Uh, because I don't think it's like, again, we've definitely watched stuff that's more eye rolly, more like out there. Um, but, you know, I'm afterlife and uh, that type of stuff. I'm kind of like wishy-washy about, you know, I, I like to believe that stuff. I don't know that I believe it, but it's nicer than the alternative. Music six. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess I will give it just a straight down the middle five um, mm-hmm. because it's just like, it's just a sci-fi story. It covers most of the ground that we might expect um, for mm-hmm. ones that do think about the end of life and what that means, right? Like, so, Mm -hmm. um, and that is a, that's like a pretty common science fiction trope is like what happens when you die and, uh, that, and like what will happen. And in terms of like the future that it paints, uh, like the technology and the world where it's seemingly run by this primo family corporation, um, Mm -hmm. all of that too is very run of the mill science fiction. So it's not like, whoa, this is wacky, you know? Um, so yeah, I think I would put it right down the middle main. And the reason it's as high as a five is because of the supernatural, uh, like, and not just supernatural, like I would almost be more on board with something aliens, Mm -hmm. um, than something about like the afterlife, because for me, the notion of the metaphysical, like you said, like afterlife stuff and like vaguely religious stuff for me is just, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to go down that road. Yeah. Um, whereas I'm like, Oh, weird aliens or like robots or technology doing (laughs) something weird. Whatever. Got (laughs) it. (laughs) That is funny though. Cause I don't want to do any like metaphysical shit, but I'm like, I got to get my ghost court. When will there be ghost court? Like I'm like, ghosts are cool. I know because I very much am like uh, iffy about afterlife and believing in heaven and hell as a real thing and what where you go when you die. But I'm like a hundred percent on board for ghosts. Yeah, I would <laughs> and like really I would the almost same ish thing. But like I almost was thinking to myself, I was like, is this is really what's happening? That her grandmother her ghost of her grandma like possessed her and and it was like, like take me back to Elk Greva. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good yeah. voice by the way, Joan Thanks. Crawford. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> like, problem. Right. Um, but like that yeah, kind of like, ladies are in bloom again. Isn't that oh, what she says? That's Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> oh, <laughs> All um, those old actresses sound the same. I mean, that was a pretty good, that was like a little more refinement and you could really get a good Catherine Hepburn thing going there, a side gig where you just yeah. read old Catherine Hepburn quotes. Um, 
But like, I truly, and this is my own personal weirdness. I'm like, I would buy a story about a grandma's ghost coming back to possess you far more easily. I would like, that would go down. No problem. Then mm-hmm. this, like, it's the afterlife. And I have this mystical connection with this person I've never met. <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent. Like, no, I just want ghosts. That's what I want. Yeah, same. Get me them ghosts. Um, yep, same. And and technically, if ghosts exist, then we would have to act like there's some sort of like uh, mystical thing in the world. Um, but well, also, may- the idea that like the soul doesn't act. Uh, I mean, I right. don't know what I believe, but I think it's the idea that the soul doesn't die. The soul remains present. Your right. body dies. The soul is just sort of like everywhere. <laughs> I don't know. You know right. Like- well, I mean, like the, the what I was about to say is like the way you could get out of it in a science fiction realm or even in our real life realm is by saying ghosts might be real in the sense that they are phenomena of nature that we do not yet scientifically understand. Right. Like yeah. if it's and like some kind never of will. Probably never will. But if it's like, oh, there's like an energy that gets transferred mm-hmm. when you die and and that is what becomes what we are calling ghosts now, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. then I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I guess I can see that. Maybe I've yeah. just watched, maybe the movie Ghostbusters imprinted on me too much <laughs> as a child. No, um, no, no, I'm with you. But yes. So anyway, we are not convinced that there is an afterlife, but we sure do hope there are ghosts. Yeah, that's what we can say this week. Because I really want to. Because you know what? That it comes down to. I really want to haunt some motherfuckers up in here someday. Oh man! I and I would. I would only do stuff that's like really, really annoying, but not yes, scary. Yes. Like 100%. steal, I, like yes. Why like can't I find my keys? Yes, <laughs> like I, that's a hundred percent. I've said this to Isaac before. I'm like, if I die and I am a ghost and I haunt you, I'm not gonna hurt you, but I will like fuck with you. Oh yeah, it's like just randomly take someone's keys. Uh, mm-hmm move like when someone puts their glass down because they're about to pour themselves a coffee just Mm -hmm. move it to the side but not when they can see it when Mm -hmm. their back is turned and then they'll just turn back and be like didn't I put that nearer to this Mm -hmm. one side of the counter and then you're like he 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 like but it's like yeah but you're like a ghost so they can't hear you laughing Mm -hmm. or like um when you're coming home and you're like You've got like a million bags around your arm and you're like balancing something. And then my little ghost finger would like knock something (laughs) off the top of the pile. I mean, it is a little bit. It is definitely like not as uh, innocent as we're making it sound. That is all really obnoxious stuff and stuff that would creep the hell out of someone. But Um, it's not like poltergeisty. Like I'm not going to be trying to like. It doesn't sound like evil. It's not like a demon. But. Yeah, no, that is the way I would like to haunt somebody that way. And if it, the more annoying they were to me in life, the more annoying my little jabs would be. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. Anyway, we've now anyway. established that both of us would really like to turn into ghosts <laughs> when we die. Um, and I guess we'll just have to wait and see on that. Yeah, um, we'll let y'all know. 
Yeah. Well, that's when we'll, ooh, ghost podcast. Ooh, we could. A podcast <laughs> by ghosts. Ooh, that's a whole new genre. That, that's a market that we can be the trendsetters on when mm-hmm. we die. We will be the ones to get onto the ghost podcast network yep. and start that trend. Well, um, this has been great, as always. <laughs> I've super enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> Um, but, uh, so fair listeners, we will say goodbye to you now. As always, I am Sarah and I'm here with Amy and we will see you next week in space. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of see you next week in space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.